0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 326 of the Running Rogue podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung, joined by James Dodds again for today's episode. How are you doing, James? Doing good. It's good to have you. You're live in person in my home studio, which is the first time I've recorded in person in a long time, but it's good to have somebody actually physically here. Yeah, so.
1: I'm excited about it. Um... And it it is weird just because it's out of the norm. like i I don't hear myself in earphones right now. I hear my this is how we normally talk. Right. we're just hanging out as friends. <laughs> yeah, but I'm like, wait, I'm used to hearing that like anyway.
0: yeah, it is. It's different. It's weird, but it's awesome too. So excited to have you with you. Have you with me? We're going to be talking about a question that came up from one of our runners, which is. Basically, how do you separate your identity from your results? Really, really difficult. I think all of us struggle with this in different ways. We'll talk about what that looks like to start, and then we're going to get to some practical application elements as well. But how do you separate who you are and your worth from your running results? We'll get to that in just a second. Before we get there, I have to quickly give two announcements. One, today is August 15th as we record this, publishing a little bit later, but the book Becoming a Sustainable Runner is out as of today. So go check out the new book from Tina Muir and Zoe Rom for my last episode. It is live and you can get it wherever books are sold. So go check it out it actually covers a little bit on this topic too. So if you want some practical application from Tina and Zoe, go check that out. Secondly, want to give a shout out to my sponsor for this episode, John G Running Apparel. They're now one of my favorite running apparel brands as I've gotten plenty of their gear to try. We'll talk about my sponsorship with them and give you an offer code mid-episode. So stay tuned for that as we jump in. All right. You ready, James? You ready to talk about this?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited.
0: I'm excited too. It's a. It can be a heavy topic. It can be a dense topic. It can be a topic that requires the listener to go to some existential places, be willing to ask some deep questions. And so we're going to try to cover all of that and then boil it down to hopefully things that you can do practically in order to... Take those steps to separate identity from outcomes. I also want to, before we jump into framing the problem, so to speak, I want to also acknowledge that this is not, as you just said, and we were talking about this offline, as you just said, this is not something that you learn, you listen to an episode of a podcast, you take a test, you pass, and then you're good, right? It's an ongoing journey that never really ends. And it's one that I'm constantly battling, you're constantly battling, we're constantly battling, and we, we have developed tools to, to be better at it over time. But there's still those moments when you get caught up in tying your identity too closely to outcomes. And those outcomes could be race outcomes, could be training outcomes, could be just simply how you feel on a given day. So So let's jump in. I want to start by framing the problem, throwing it to you, if you don't mind. I would love to first just give some examples from our personal lives, and we can talk about athletes too that we've perhaps interacted with and how we've seen it show up in them. But I want to start with us. What's an example of a time when you did this, when you too closely tied your identity to your results?
1: You know, this is interesting because in my own story, if you will, um, like coming in, my origin story coming into running was kind of the reverse. I'm, we're going to reverse engineer what we're going to talk about today is like helping an athlete basically work through that mental knot of saying like, um, how do I give my all to this sport? How do I give my all to my training? How do I stay really motivated towards my goals and and know that I laid it all on the line? We have those one-liners in life, Right. Um, we're going to walk backwards from that and say, how do we help an athlete see a wider lens, a wider perspective? And, um, it's interesting because my origin story into the sport would, would be the reverse. Like I grew up like the, everybody wanted me to be the preacher, the pastor, the, um, anybody that knew me at the university of Texas would, would say that that was part of my identity. And so I didn't run marathons until I was 25. I didn't even consider myself a runner until I was 25 because, I was going through life. I was living out my identity. I didn't even necessarily know to ask these questions about like, does this fully define me? But, you know, by the time I reached age 25, I was looking at life through a little bit of a different lens, a little more philosophical lens. I had doubts, questions, um, like Do I believe what I'm preaching? Basically enough to know that I could not go on to be a preacher. I'm not saying I threw away faith. I don't want to offend anybody that is on a faith journey. I'm not saying like, um, you know, that, that those teachings have left me per se. But I do know that at age 25, I was arriving at what I would consider to be an existential crisis. Where all my life, people were like, you're going to be a great preacher and a great speaking pastor. And you've got this gift and this skill set, And it kind of defined me. And the moment I arrived at an intersection in life, it was like quote, the first great divorce in my life. It was like, Oh man, like I don't know what else to be if I'm not to be that. And so I had to start wrestling with these deeper questions of like, well, who am I if I don't preach or who am I? If I don't live into that identity that people know me as like that's Dodds, even at rogue, you sometimes call me the reverend. It's like, Clearly, these things have left their, their print on me, right? And who I am and how I function. But that is how I arrived at the sport. So I'm trying to draw it back to running real quick. But um, I basically got into running because it was a meditative practice that allowed me to answer these big, process these big questions in life. Like, you know, while I was confused, I knew school came with a syllabus, so I was great at school. Um, as long as I saw myself as a, a a Christian speaking pastor, well, I had the Bible. So I had my rule book. I had my playbook. I could operate by the syllabus, so to speak. And so when life at 25 didn't have that syllabus, that rule book, that, that those guide rails, um, life felt a little bit chaotic. And so I moved into a structured practice. I moved into running. And so three miles could become four, four could become five, five could become six, six could become seven and eventually a marathon, eventually 26 marathons, you know, faster marathons, PRs, etc. cetera. Uh, it, it became this whole world that I could operate in and I could use to enrich my life, process big questions in life, um, but no longer be completely absorbed, be completely absorbed by one single identity.
0: So in a sense, it, running gave you new identity.
1: In a sense, but we're going to talk about that, That right? <laughs> by the time I arrived at a second, you know, by when I arrived at this stage, and this is what we're going to talk about with the runners, it wasn't so much that I wanted to just put on a brand new identity. I didn't want to trade one for the other, and we'll get into that with the athletes today. It's not about trading one for the other. But rather, I was able to see life with a wider lens and recognize that, Just because there's one activity that I do more than all other activities, I am not only that one activity. That's the spirit of the message that I'm trying to say. Like running, sort of, yeah, to some people, it gave me a new identity. But I was able to come into the sport with a little bit of knowledge and experience and know, don't be consumed by it. Don't be so wrapped up in it that if it were to be taken away from you, that it would feel like another great divorce in life. Does that make sense?
0: It does. It sounds like a pretty healthy way to come into the sport. Would you describe it that way?
1: I would say yeah. Yeah, I would say it's pretty healthy. And I've gone through my moments. <laughs> I know, don't I know, get I me I wrong. Believe, yeah. yeah.
0: We <laughs> there have been moments <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think about your your in your your I, just, I call it injury, but your your toe surgery, when was that, 18 months ago at this point? Yeah. Where that I think caused a bit of a crisis crisis of identity related to running in you, is that fair to say?
1: Somewhat fair. I would say in this part it's um, we're getting into nuances now, um, so it's an accurate read from the outside, but I'd say internally it was more of all my structures, routines, and um, uh, behavioral level uh, applications were uh, interrupted, which it's is its own psychological experience you take anyone out of their uh f- their their space of familiarity and you drop them in a new country in a new environment whatever like i i i went from mobile to immobile so it wasn't so much just about running like i enjoyed lifting through that phase but i i almost developed a whole new set of patterns that became uh pretty psychologically heavy to uh figure out like who am i in this current moment because you know it was like i was lifting upper body but couldn't use my foot so yes and no Yes and no. I I feel like it had more to do with my routines and my patterns and my habits, but perhaps we're saying the same thing.
0: (laughs) Well, no, I mean, I think big or small, right? I mean, you're pretty advanced in your thought process around stuff like this. You're very well read in it. We'll give some of those examples today. So you're someone who is a student of
2: this type of work, of being able to separate identity from your work from your outcomes, from the things you do in life. And yet, big
0: or small, you still have those moments, right? Mm -hmm. What would you say would be your biggest, if you think back to the, the last 14 years of your running journey, particularly, your biggest crisis of identity relative to the sport?
1: It probably would have been the first surgery. This is kind of gross, so don't Google it, guys. But <laughs> I once had a pilonidal cyst. <laughs> and so um, that, that was uh, months after I broke 40 in the 10K. And so, you know, when you're on that upward trend in your first three, four years of the sport, you're just, it's like so much slow hanging fruit. And especially given that I wasn't a trained runner growing up. So, coming into a program like Rogue, where you've got like really knowledgeable coaches, amazing community that's driven and wants to get better, like everything was there. So, for three years, I just tasted endless fruit, right? Fruit of the <laughs> labor. So, I remember I joined Rogue. I wanted to break an hour in the 10K because of Rogue's programs. I ended up breaking 40 in the 10K. I'm like, yeah, I'm the man. Here, <laughs> talk about moments. It's like, um, uh, I started walking a little taller. And that's, and that's, what's good about this. We're going to cover these nuances today, but it's like, that's one thing that's beautiful about it, right? It gave me some strength and some swagger and some self-confidence and some belief. Um, but then boom, I get that piloted cyst. It's got to be surgically removed. I'm wearing this little bladder thing under my shorts for like X amount of weeks and I'm not supposed to walk or run. I could just do my normal work activities. And then three months later, like I had slipped out of my patterns, my routines, my, you know, I'm such a routine guy. I seek that because I thrive when I utilize routine. Um, and that was the first window of like, Oh shit, I got to start over again. You know, like when I had built up three years of momentum, I'd run three thirty six in the marathon and I broke 40 in the 10 K and my next goal was like, I'm coming back after the marathon. And then I have this surgery, this one setback. I even hate admitting it right now because it's like, you want to believe that, oh, I can handle a setback and I, and I bounce back. But I didn't like, I like got back into marathons. I ran more marathons, but I didn't PR after that. And so, I mean, like on one hand, that's embarrassing, but I'm also just being vulnerable and honest. And it's like, yeah, that was probably my first big uh, crisis of identity within the sport about three, three and a half years into it.
2: Yeah, it's interesting comparing our journeys because for me, you know, I came to the sport probably well, in a very different way, certainly, but I would say not necessarily with from a healthy place in terms of identity. Not because
0: there was anything wrong, but you know, I was somebody who played soccer growing up, who always had that as an outlet for competition, for performance. Then I quit playing in college, played club volleyball of all things in in college, which then gave me another competitive outlet. And then when that ended, I needed something else to fill that void of of seeking performance oriented outcomes in order to give myself some sense of worth. And so into running. And I was fortunate enough to be decent at it from the start because I had 15 years of aerobic development on a soccer field and could jump in essentially and perform pretty well. Not that I was competing with others, but I was from the gun competing with myself. And as I reflect back on that, there's nothing wrong with it. It was the right evolution for me, I think. But, but I didn't necessarily start like you did from a healthy Healthy place in terms of identity and outcomes. It was more about the two for me were pretty closely tied together at that time of my life. Sports outcomes and identity had always been a part of my story. And this was just the next hit, so to speak, that, you know, it was soccer, then volleyball, then running. I mean, even in college, I played, there was one year where I played every single intramural sport possible at my university, every single one, including ping pong and billiards and tennis and stuff. I'd never played competitively because I was just seeking those, those, the, the validation that sport had given me all my life. And so into running, and that was just the next thing. And, and I, I, I I say this not, you know, as if there was some, if that was, a terrible thing. It was obviously it led me to where I am. So it's in some ways beautiful, but it, but it took me a long time to separate those elements for me.
1: Yeah. It's interesting. I have two responses. One guys, we're inviting you into this conversation. Like uh, the, we're going to get, this is kind of heavy. Like I want to be a good steward of this conversation, right? Like, um, we will get into heavy things. So there's not a quote right or wrong way to have done this, but rather we hope to leave you with some tools, tips, resources, and a little bit of a conversation you can connect to, but at the end we'll give some practical applications. But we recently did an interview with an athlete where, um, we talked about leading in with your head and then the actions and feet follow. And then some people lead with their feet, they lead with the actions and the head follows right now you're speaking with conscious awareness of like, man, I was moving from one to another, trying to validate. Were you consciously aware you were doing that then? Or were you no. more of like, I'm a you were moving with your feet.
0: Yeah. Moving with your feet. You're like, I need another competitive outlet essentially. And so this is all definitely hindsight, but as I reflect on it, there was a little bit of a pathology there that wasn't as healthy and, It's okay because, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think one of the things to recognize in all of this conversation is not to judge yourself Mm -hmm, for for any of these situations, right? Because we're all just doing our best and it's okay. I think it's important to label and be aware of the feelings you're having, the thoughts that come to mind, but without judgment. And so I say without judgment, but just more reflectively because I'm in a much different place now. And part of that, for me, that journey was, which is getting to a little bit of the practical was gradually over time, falling so in love with the act of running as beautiful and pure on its own, separated from race results. And that took me time. But once I got to that place, then it really helped me start to separate the two.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I guess that's already, um, so because this can be a pretty <laughs> heady and big picture up in the clouds, abstract like conversation, we'll try to call out some practicals. So one is already the, like thinking about it from the buckets of like, oh, do I find myself moving into action and then have to let my mind catch up? Or am I someone who moves into things with my mind and then the actions catch up? That's already two things to think on. But then two, you mentioned a big one and that's, as you move through this, do not judge yourself on it. Um, that's a huge takeaway already. If you already turned off the podcast, I hope you took that. Um, as I move through this and I try to work on not letting my identity get too wrapped up in my sport, um, I'm going to try not to judge myself. That's already a win. If we move someone to there had who had not been there yet, that's a win.
0: So the next thing I wanted to talk about is, is sort
2: of what does it look like when, someone isn't necessarily operating from a healthy place.
0: And maybe healthy is not even the right word because it has a bit of judgment associated with it. But when, when somebody might be struggling with this, what does that look like? And what are some examples of that? You know, one I think of immediately is
2: this idea of seeking external validation. Sometimes we want our results in running so that others have approval so that we have perceived approval from others i think that's a big part of
0: what drives us from the ego and and what closely knits the ego to outcomes is that external validation at least that's one example of it but what are others
1: there's a lot, and this one's got to be nuanced too, but um, first I'll just start with the two sides of it. There's one where it's like there's not giving enough to it, right? Like you're just too loosey-goosey and flippant about it, and we're not advocating for that. We're not, we're not here to let a pendulum swing and say, um, like I bought a hat in Oklahoma City after I did my marathon in April that says give a damn. Like it's good to care. It's good to give a damn about the things that you're a part of and the things that you do. I used the word stewardship earlier. It's like, I want, I think a healthy version is like being a good steward of the sport you get to participate in while you get to participate in it or the job that you get to be in while you're in that job. The unhealthy though, okay, is when you don't give a damn, when you don't take it serious enough. So that's sort of like a wake up, pal. Like let's, let's care about something. But then the other side, which is kind of what we're mostly speaking to today is when you are so obsessed with it that you can't see past it. And so it's almost like addictive behavior. It's when you can't be happy without it, or you can't love your neighbor without it. Um, you can't um,
0: love yourself,
1: love yourself without it. Yeah. Well said, because I was about to go into the, the physical pains. Like you see it sometimes where it's like training. This is where it's, it's so nuanced because training at a, at a, a highly competitive level naturally invites Risk of injury. You mentioned that recently. I don't know if it was one of this main podcast or our private ones we do with athletes, but it's like you were talking about like the harder you train, the chance of getting injured is, is there, right? So we're, we're, we're knowingly taking risks, but then there's some who, despite all the warning signs, they can't stop. They don't back off. They they run themselves ragged. Like emotionally they're burnout. Like their body's breaking down, whether it's stress fractures or like chronic injuries to muscle tissue. It's like, um, it's kind of like with any addiction, it's sort of like when the rest of your like you can't feel normal in the rest of your life without doing it. Um actually I want to pause on that because it's like I get it, like running can be your medicine. I think that's a beautiful thing. Like if you're like, I'm just a better person when I wake up and do my run. But I'm saying when you tip to a point where you're hurting yourself and um, not actually doing what's right and good and healthy and true for you as a holistic being. Um, I get a mental image and we talked about this earlier of like when you're it's, um, I'm going to be funny here, but in the Lord of the Rings thing, uh, Schmeagle, where he holds on to the ring, that is a metaphor for what we're talking about. Like, while that's j- on one hand just a Hollywood blockbuster that can be fun entertainment, there's also a depth to those artists who wrote that. And there's a reason why it's so widely popular because within all humans, within all of us, we can too easily grab too tightly to life like if you're a listener I want you to like clench your fist in front of your face right now I'm doing it and I'm feeling like a weirdo (laughs) because I'm in the room with you but I'm trying to think like all right if, if you're alone and you're on a walk or something and you're listening to this like just hold your fist up in front of you and clench it and that's schmeagle, that's obsession that's holding too tightly to anything in life any role or any hat you get to wear in life And what we're leaning towards is being able to open your palm and let it it look up at the sky. Like, can you hold something in your hand where you're grateful you get to hold it in your hand and you're grateful that you get to experience it? And while you have it, you're going to give all your focus, all your attention and all your energy to it, but knowing you're never going to clench the fist around it. You're going to leave that palm open because you have a humble and accepting attitude that while I have it, I'll be a good steward of whatever it is. In this case, we're talking about running, but this applies to careers, relationships, any endeavor, any pursuit or any hat that you get to wear in life. Um, Can you live with that palm open?
2: I mean, basically you're saying, I mean, letting the
0: pendulum swing too far either way is a manifestation of this concept. Too far one way and you're obsessed, you're doing everything and then some, you know, which drives injury, burnout, overtraining. And then the other way leads to apathy where you say, well, I just don't care because if I care, it's too risky (laughs) for me. Yep. And so I'm going to run away from it essentially. And those are both manifestations of what we're talking about. And so essentially it's about that, finding that balance, that middle ground, which is really, really difficult. And I think it's important to underscore that neither, you know, while both of us, I think have a degree of mastery in this concept because we've been teaching it, living it, learning it for not just one year, but at least, you know, two decades for me, more than a decade for you you know, there's an evolution, but it's never ending journey. It just never stops. I mean, I can even think about times for me this year, when I think about wanting
2: this goal that I want, you know, in Houston, at times I have to ask myself, you know, why do I want it? Is the balance of wanting it right? Is it about me or is it about something else? And, and at times it's about something else in an unhealthy way. I think I can, I mean, this is
0: again, splitting hairs a little bit, very nuanced, but I can want it in a healthy way. There's
2: those elements too, but I can also want it in unhealthy ways, which leads to destructive is probably too strong a word, but leads to steps towards
0: the goal that are unhealthy. And so I have to focus on the healthy ways of wanting it.
1: Yeah. And you know, what's interesting there. This is another point of application that I want to pass to listeners. And that's only, you know, and I say you rhetorically, not just you, Chris, but like only, you know, um, like where you're at on it. Like we, we have, we're going to try to pass on, like we've been trying to pass on some like indicators to help you process that. But, one, you have to be willing to ask that question. Like you said, you know, what is behind this goal in Houston? Uh, so one, are you willing to ask the question? And then two, um, it, it, it's not a static fix. Like you took a test, you passed it and now you're done. But it's this daily practice of sort of like, like, am I clenching too tight or am I relaxed? Like, do I have it in balance? Like only, you know. When you maybe did that extra mile or went too hard on that extra repeat because you were punishing yourself for something like there's these like things inside you that, you know, that we can't just judge the behavior from the outside. Like as coaches, we're going to guide and give pointers and tips and try to get you to think about it a little bit differently. But
2: only, you know, deep down is my point. Yeah. And it's, and it's hard. I mean, the other manifestation of this stuff, which is,
0: kind of a symptom of the things we've already talked about is making
2: bad training choices. You know, like I think about even myself in the last couple of weeks, you know, I
0: had strong base building period, took a couple of weeks of vacation, rebuilding, really starting my build to Houston right now. But I'm training with athletes that are focused on races that are in octo you know, October, November. And so part of me, part of me wants to jump in with their workouts and do them exactly as they're doing them Well, they're peaking way earlier than I am versus
2: just, and doing it just because I can versus being like more balanced and say, no,
0: that's not right for me right now. I've got a plan. I'm going to back off. I'm going to do what's right for me now. Let them do their thing timed appropriately for their races. And making those choices over the last couple weeks has been difficult because I, like anybody else, wants to be able to one, hang with my crew and two, you know, show people I still got it too.
1: Yeah. Judicious. You have to have a judicious mind.
0: (laughs) And so holding back is hard. It's
2: hard, but it's. But it's a constant, I think, a constant battle for most of us, yeah. just choosing to hold back rather than to just plow through. All right, before we
0: jump into the second half of this discussion, I wanted to quickly talk about my partnership with Johnji, which dates back now several months. Loving their gear. I'm practically living in their trail half-tight right now. It's my, my favorite half-tight at the moment. Really good stuff. I'm actually just about to get another color to add to my portfolio of John G Tights. but loving their gear I also want to mention that they are now releasing their fall collection so you want to go check out their new designs inspired by designs from artists from Japan some really cool designs beautiful pieces to go check out that has just been released on their website. But as a reminder, John G is a great running apparel company. Two percent of all of their revenue goes to support water projects all around the world. And of course, they're doing great things by showcasing culture and artists from all over the world through their collections and through their designs, which means that this is a company that not only produces great running apparel, but also does it in a way that supports and gives back to the communities that they're showcasing and highlighting which makes it a beautiful thing. So I want you to go check out their gear. I've got a code for you. You can go to their website, G.com or runjohng.com. Use the code ROGUE15, one for 15% off your order with them. And that's a code you can use more than once. So if you've already used it, you can use it again. Go get your new piece from their fall collection. And I promise you, you won't regret it. Great stuff from their tops to their shorts to their running accessories. So go check it out. Again, that's code Rogue15R-O-G-U-E-15 R-O-G-U-E for 15% off your first order. Okay, let's get to the second half of my podcast with
2: James. Okay, so we framed up the problem, some of the symptoms as we step
0: towards solutions. You know, what we talked about in prepping for this was that there's sort of the metal, sorry, metal, meta, <laughs> existential level of dis- discussion, which requires you to be thinking bigger picture, thinking with bigger frameworks. And then there's the more practical, tactical stuff. So I want to s- finish with the practical, tactical. So believe us, we will get there <laughs> if, if you're waiting for that but let's get into the meta for a second. And you, I think in particular have, because you're more well-read than I am, have helpful frameworks, some that are a little more woo-woo than others, depending on people's taste for that, that I think are helpful in framing up the thought processes before we get to the tactical. So let's step into those.
1: Okay, this excites me, and if I may, I also want to uh, just emphasize one more time why I think it's so important. Um, this weekend, we celebrated the August birthdays. A lot of guys in my group on my team have August birthdays, but uh, also a lot of them are also new fathers, and um, the reason why I want to emphasize the importance of this topic is that while we're applying it to running, this is one of those rare podcasts where it's like the concepts we're talking about though are applicable to all of life, like this one actually someone can be a non-runner and listen to this podcast and gain some kind of benefit from it. Because um, one of my athletes, Tommy, brand new father, six foot four, total athlete, like fearless, not afraid of anything, but he's got a 12 day old daughter. And when he brought her over, just does his first outing for like 20, 30 minutes and goes home. He almost had a trembling like in it, like there was like a shakiness in his voice that was like, Kind of on the deep, like meaningful human level, like it was beautiful to watch in that it was like life's organically taking him out of one chapter, one identity and putting him into a new one, right? And so it's, we, we, we all know how to change our identities or have beginner mindset in the sense that life has these organic ways of doing it. Like when you get married or when you have your first child or you leave home and you go off to college and you, you're, these are little form forms of what we're talking about. But there's also the dark side to this concept, right? And this is why it's so important is because, you know, um, sometimes people do everything they can to be a healthy person, but then they experience cancer it's like, whoa, that's that's not fair. Um, or like you're a really good spouse, but you your life ends in divorce. Or you're a really hard worker at work, but you got laid off and you wrapped your whole identity into that job and then you don't have that job. Um, or you're the runner who gave their heart and soul to the sport and you never made the Olympic team or you never qualified for Boston. And so there's there's aspects of life that will also naturally Uh, this is the, the Mike Tyson quote, like, you know, everybody's got to play until they get punched in the mouth. And the conversation we're having is, but now what do you do on the other side of getting punched in the mouth? Right? Why just share the Mike Tyson quote for shock and awe, and then leave people with that. It's our job as coaches to talk about why it's so important, how to go on past the punch in the mouth. So that's why this conversation is so important to me. All right. So on the meta level, um, the big picture level that that's why it's so important. And sorry, what was the original question? Oh my god, this is me. You were talking just, about some of the resources, yeah,
0: or? resources and sort of the meta frameworks for thinking about it.
1: Okay, so some early ones uh, for me, or like Eckert Toll. I read Eckert Toll's book, A New Earth. Um, but even what I was just saying is the the uh, recognition that we all wear multiple hats in life. Basically what I just teed up of why it's important is like, you can start thinking like, Oh, like I'm Dodds, the brother, but I'm also Dodds, the son, but I'm also Dodds, the friend. And I'm also Dodds, the former longhorn or always a longhorn, or I'm Dodds, the runner, or I'm Dodds, the sales guy, or I'm Dodds, the coach. Like you can start already developing a little bit of understanding into this abstract. Like if you feel like the meta stuff's way too like out there and cuckoo, um, then you can already start asking that question of like, how many hats do I wear in life? More bigger picture, like I've, there's a, uh, there's a philosophical concept you can Google and that's floating man uh, or flying man. I think it's sometimes referred to. This is, old stuff I'm trying to quote, but like, basically that thought experiment was like, if God were to create a body and it's just floating through space and it has no memory or past and it has no sensory input, like you can't compare, like I am who I am compared to a dog versus a tree. And therefore I know I'm not a dog and I know I'm not a tree. Therefore I must be this third entity. Like, so if you have no comparison, no sensory input, and you have no memory, would you be aware of yourself? And who are you that has that awareness? That's, that's one thought experiment you could go down to introduce this topic of floating man. You can get into Sam Harris, who's a neuroscientist, uh, at Stanford who has the waking up, uh, podcast. It's a meditation, uh, app or, and podcast, I guess. Um, he also has a book called waking up and he talks a lot about like, okay, who are you? Like a meditation has taught me some of this language. So I don't know if I'm quoting Sam Harris right now or just meditation in general, but it's like. Um, when I've had to let go of certain thoughts in the past and not let thoughts rule me, um, I was able to arrive at that by saying like, okay, look at your hand out in front of you. Are you your hand? No, I'm not my hand. My hand is simply an extension of who I am. Okay, then who are you? And if your hand's an extension of you, could your thoughts also just be an extension of you? Oh yeah, I'm not my every thought. Thoughts are just extensions of me. Okay, then who are you? Are you some little... Cognitive being that sits behind your two eyeballs. Now, that's definitely Sam Harris language. Um, So Sam Harris goes into a lot of this, like, trying to help people wake up to consciousness, seeing the bigger picture, understanding these things. So if you totally love this topic, and of course, me coming, I was exposed to religion so young that I've never not thought about these things. Like, I remember being a first grader and not being able to fall asleep because the concept of forever didn't fit in my brain. Like, even though I was told I was going to go to heaven and be with God forever, that still scared the shit out of me because I was like, how long is forever? Like, it doesn't (laughs) cut off. It doesn't end. And so I was, I would, I consider it being plagued by these thoughts. And I don't want to plague anyone by these, but like, you've got the Sam Harris's, the Eckhart Tolls, we can read for, from Sheehan if, but I've read Running and Being with Dr. Sheehan. So these are those big picture, like, We know you're not your hand. We know you're not your thought. Therefore, we know you're not your foot. And therefore, we know you're not the race result that the foot produced. So if the race result is an extension of the training and the training is an extension of the foot and the foot's an extension of you, then who the heck are you? That's the meta level question.
0: So it is, I mean, it's meta, it's existential. It requires you to do some thinking on who am I and defining yourself outside of those outcomes are outside
2: of your job title or outside of what people think of you. But what's left,
0: I guess for you, what's left. If you're at, if you're answering that question, who are you? James dots. What's left. What are the elements that you define yourself by?
1: Um, well, we're, I'll have to shortcut a lot um, because I don't fully know how I arrived here. But ultimately, I, I, I've arrived at conclusions of like, life is short, life's ephemeral. It comes and it goes. And I get, I, I, I'm pretty confident that I am alive and that you're alive <laughs> and that you're real and I'm real and we're talking. I'm pretty confident in those things. I'm not trying to be that woo-woo, right? Um, so if that's the case, I know that I'm here for a while. And to some people, like 80 to 100 years sounds like a long time. To me, it sounds short in the history of the world. So I feel like I'm here for a little time. And then while I'm here, I get to ask this question. This is Francis uh, Schaefer's question. This is a theological question of how then shall we live? But for me, it's just like, you know, Kevin Leahy and I, good friend, you know him, brilliant off the charts brilliant guy studies black holes and why we're on earth um, and the brain but like he and I used to get together and have an IPA and talk about these big picture uh, concepts and try to make sense of our little lives but basically we landed on the question of how do you want to be alive like for any of us that have time to listen to podcasts and devote our extra income and our extra time and our extra resources we're all living in the self-actualization layers right so I'm I'm Jumping past, I do know there's real hurt. There's real pain. Like Some people are just trying to get their next meal. But anybody listening to this podcast is probably someone who's like trying to be a better runner, therefore in the self-actualization stage. So I've arrived at, uh, I've got a guiding question that I've always got to hold myself responsible to. And that's, how do I want to be alive? And within that, that might include, like I've developed six different buckets that I operate by. Um, Develops an interesting word, it's just... I just have recognized these are all, some of them I took, three or four of them I took from Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of uh, Highly Effective People. But it's like I started realizing like, all right, well, there's these six categories that seem to have real tangible impact on who I am. One of is that spiritual existential sort of why am I here? So if you're a faith-based person, how's your walk in your faith? Do you read your guiding text or scripture? Like if you're a Muslim, do you, how, how are you living according to the Quran? If you're a Christian, how are you living according to the Bible? If you're a Jew, like how are you living according to the Torah and what you've learned there, right? Or if you're an atheist, how do you justify your own existence? Like why are you here? And, and does that question haunt you or scare you? Like no matter where you land on that spectrum, I have that spiritual existential bucket, right? And so, I've also got the emotional, that's the relational. The poet Tennyson said, it's better to have loved and to have lost than to have never loved at all. There's a deep desire and longing within all humans to both know and be known. So you've got that emotional bucket that if you don't take serious, like it has consequences. You've got the resource or the financial bucket, like We live in a capitalistic society, so we got to make money. We've got the physical, biological. This is the part where sport falls under. Like, you know, how am I doing with my sport, my activities, et cetera? We've got the social. We're pack animals. We need other people. No man is an island. And then you've got the mental. Like, how's your mind growing? Have you challenged it lately? Are you actually getting smarter or are you just kind of going numb and watching Netflix all the time? Now, some people should calm down, relax, and watch Netflix. This is where you can't judge the behavior, but rather the intention behind it. So where I'm going with this is I landed on the six different buckets or categories that help that that these are like subtopics or subchapters to the question of how do you want to be alive, and so within that question is like well within sport within play like I want to take care of my body I want to spend spend less money than I make like I want to wrestle with the deep questions of so. I've gone into a whole framework because I'm the kind of guy that cannot operate without a, a framework. You're a
0: framework guy, for sure. Is that
1: more or less than you wanted to that
0: question? Uh, no, it's interesting. I think the ultimate answer here is that there is no answer, right? Each of us is going to approach it from a different angle. You know, You're bucketing your life, which I think gives you, one, the ability to see that you're more than just one bucket, first of all. Yes so that if one bucket sucks then you're like well i've got five other buckets where i'm seeing progress and then within each of those buckets you've got an approach to say how can i define success so to speak in that bucket and approaching it you know in a healthy way knowing that you know knowing you you know that it's not about success in the physical is not necessarily about Race results. There are a lot of elements there. Success in the emotional is and relational is not necessarily about just relationship outcomes. It's about how you show up in those relationships. And so, you know, within those buckets, you're also saying I'm developing healthy metrics for lack of a better term for evaluating progress in each of those buckets that are, are disconnected from just outcome based. Elements.
1: Exactly. They're a spectrum and they're dynamic. They're always ever changing. And so I picture Vitruvian man with six arms pointing towards these six buckets. And then within each bucket, there's a one to ten scale. And that one to ten scale is for no one else to vote on. That's in our own internal dialogue. We get to rate ourselves. We get to ask ourselves that gentle question of like, so how's it going, buddy? Like you know, you wanted to run a little bit faster. Well, how's your running practice going? Or um, you wanted to wrestle with these big questions in life, like what kind of answers are you coming to? It's not meant to be some challenge, and it's not meant to be something that you grade yourself against according to society or other people, but rather this internal framework that's changing every day. Like there may be times in life where you feel like a social giant, um, and I also think that this framework's really helpful and good because it um, it can help you identify where you think you're weak and um, embrace like the beginner's mindset and maybe uh, ask for help and resources in one of those categories where if you're like, man, you know, um, In my business, I'm a giant. This actually helps me coach people too. Like it helps me respect the human in front of me, not just the athlete. I'm like, I recognize that sometimes an athlete comes to the table and on a one to 10 scale in their mind as an athlete, they feel like a one. They feel small. They feel, but in their work profession, they're a giant, right? And that's not lost on me. Like socially, they might be a giant. They may they have these other categories of their life where they're, powerful they're a titan they're uh having impact they're um you know i'm intimidated by them in those realms but in this one particular realm of running they might feel small and it's my job as the coach to help move them along that spectrum to where they felt like a one and now they feel like a three and then and it's not my grade it's their grade they're moving from the three to the five and they're climbing that that uh sort of progress ladder or moving back and forth along a spectrum to where they feel strong or feel healthy or feel fast or however they define success.
0: Yeah. And it's, and when you can get to that place is beautiful. You know, as I think about examples in the physical bucket, being able to define success for yourself in a sense of like for me, for example, with this season of my training, it's have I done the things I identified I needed to do? Have I checked the boxes that I needed to check that I agree to with myself? It's the Kobe Bryant. You know, I made a contract with myself. I'm going to fulfill that contract. But that contract isn't related to the time I get in Houston. It's related to have I done the things that I said I would do? And do I show up on that start line having controlled the variables I could control? And then the outcome of the race is just the outcome of the race, it's a separate and distinct element on which I am not measured from my perspective.
1: Yeah. In a sense, the result becomes a private byproduct and almost a moot point because you're asking that bigger question. How do you want to be alive? It's like you, you have to develop values around that answer. And then you get to grade yourself. Am I abiding in those values and principles? Am I training like the disciplined athlete that I said I would be, or am I not? Those, those are deeper, more meaningful questions than. Hey, what time did you get on the clock? Right. Even though I do yeah. know the time on the clock still matters to people. I'm not trying to devalue the clock.
0: Well, yeah. And that's an important overarching point. And with all of this is I, I personally feel like Nirvana here is this yin and this yang of simultaneously wanting the result so much that you're willing to do everything possible to get there within sound training principles while also knowing that the result doesn't define you. And regardless of the results, still recognizing that you have worth and value. That's nirvana with this discussion. That's the yin and the yang. And if you can create balance there, then that's the beautiful thing. But as we've already discussed, it's a never ending journey to, to keep that balance, even if you find it in, in short windows. You know, I don't know
1: why this just now popped up, but earlier you had asked questions of like, what are some other indicators? Um, and we talked about like the overtraining and like going through chronic injury and just like not even doing what you need to do to take care of your body, et cetera. But I also forgot, I should have mentioned cheating. That's why, like, that's why it's like, you know, we're not devaluing the time on the clock, but also if you cheat to get the time of the clock, you missed the whole point. <laughs> like you missed, like cheating is a great example of like, you missed it. You totally just don't get it, and you I know you're involved in the like clean sport podcast and everything, and I was like why didn't why didn't I even mention that earlier but that's a part of it that that's clear like when someone moves to the point that they're willing to cheat in the sport, clearly they miss the point of what we're talking about right now
0: well, and I would extend that to say it's 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 really taking shortcuts of any variety, even not cheating you know a shortcut in the clean sport world, doping yourself you know that's obviously. Cheating, but you know, I think about shortcuts from a training perspective that might not be defined as cheating, as in you're short circuiting the process to try to rush to an outcome versus maintaining sound training principles and allowing the outcome to come to you organically. And those shortcuts could
2: be, you know, doing too many miles too soon, not fueling enough as a part of the process
0: going too fast all the time, whatever it may be. And it might, those things, those shortcuts might produce short-term results for you, but they're not going to get you to that long-term potential. And so I would extend (laughs) cheating to even just say, really, any any shortcut taking is a byproduct of having your ego and identity too closely tied to results. Shall we get practical now?
1: Yeah, I want to get practical. Can I let uh, Sheehan guide us into this one? Yes. I wanted to read from this because he, like, again. Let, Let me
0: just tee it up with George Sheehan. Dr. George Sheehan wrote a book called Running and Being. If you've never read it, it's an old school book, recently republished that is a bit of a running philosophy book. There's some training guidance in there, but a lot of that is dated. But I think more the value of it is in this idea that running is not just a physical pursuit. So read his quote.
1: And I'm, I didn't know it was republished, but I'm holding the 1978 copy and it smells like it's from 1978, (laughs) which by the way, I was not born at this time, but I forgot how much of an impact he had on me. But, um, so as we move out of the theoretical and into the practical, um, it's, it's really like answering the question of how do I not get my identity so wrapped up in my sport or so wrapped up in my, um, Uh, results and we could have just read this and been done, (laughs) but I love how he starts chapter five uh, titled becoming. He said, my fitness program was never a fitness program. It was a campaign, a revolution, a conversion. I was determined to find myself and in the process found my body and the soul that went with it.
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that that, frames it up in a sense that it it underscores the fact that
0: if you're training to get faster at a distance or you're trying to cover more distance than you've ever covered if you're if you're using running as a pursuit to be a better person it is that it's not just the physical it has an impact on you emotionally with your self-esteem it's it's soul building So it is more than just the physical. And what we're trying to do here is push people to a place of balance with that, which means we have to underscore again, this isn't about not caring. This isn't about not giving your all to something. It's just about approaching outcomes with a healthy mindset so that you can separate your worth from them. So let's ping pong. Did you have th- one more thing to add there?
1: I was just thinking like, no, it's almost about carrying in a more important, more holistic way. Like it's my favorite one liner is um, it's never not about the running, but it's never been just about the running. And I know sometimes people want to fight against that. Cause maybe at first they don't understand they're not used to speaking in those kinds of conversations but I just don't believe anyone that runs a marathon who says they're doing it for health. And she uncovers this. I'm like, as I've been rereading this, I'm like blown away. I'm like, I don't think I've ever had an original thought. I read him 15 years ago. And now I live out all this stuff that I'm finding in his book and rediscovering. And it's like, he even says it like if you, and he's a, he was a medical doctor. So if you want to be healthy, go exercise for 45 minutes a day and stop running marathons. Stop lying to me and telling me that you only run marathons because you only want your heart to be more healthy. You're a liar. You haven't been honest with yourself and you're not being honest with me. You run marathons because something bigger is going on inside of you. You're waking up to adventure or dream. There's so much there. I won't even try to contain it all. But But let it suffice to say, I know that it's more than just
2: health. Yeah. Well, when people tell me they run for stress relief, I call bullshit in the same way, which is
0: that, sure, we all at some level run for stress relief or mental health. It's one thing to do that. It's another thing to strive in the sport because that isn't necessarily about stress relief. So there's a bigger why percolating. And so I challenge people there as well. Okay. So let's ping pong on practical things you can do to hone your skills at separating your identity, your worth from outcomes. I'll start with you.
2: Um,
1: my first, we'll start way backwards. And I'm, I'm glad you said ping pong because my first is recognize it's a journey, just like we can't um, recognize it's a journey and a skill set that you're working on improving. So in the same way, that you're like I want to be a runner but I know I can't run my marathon on day 1 and I can't run my whole season on day 1 but I'm going to spend the next 20 to 25 weeks training at that ultimate marathon and then I run that marathon consider this its own skill set and journey too that you have to commit to and 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 that's the this journey of introspection and you could call it mental health or this journey of awareness um but basically just being becoming a a little bit broader thinker, a little bit more holistic thinker. Um, and that it's not, it's not just I listen to one podcast and now I have the concept and now it's done. But you and I talked before we got on the mic. It's like we, we mess up every day. We, we clench our fists all the time, but it's a journey. It's a dynamic, ongoing, ever evolving process, is my first tip.
0: Yeah. And it's all about collecting tools along the way to help hone that skill set. So I like that one. My, My second one is also fundamental, which is that I fundamentally believe that learning to follow sound training principles is a part of the journey. Being able to go easy enough on your easy days, being able to run your long runs at aerobic capacity building effort, being able to balance stress and rest by modulating your training with hard days hard and easy days easy. All of that is a part of this because the reason we don't follow sound training principles is because we let our ego get too tied up in it. And I was talking to a runner this week about Strava watching and the conversation was, should I be doing X because so-and-so is doing X that I see on Strava. And the answer is no, because you're in a different place and you have different goals and you have a different race timing right? I mean, there's all the reasons why you wouldn't go just replicate what somebody else is doing, but so hard to separate those things. And so, you know, if you're running easy enough on your easy days, then that is actually practicing this skill set because you're letting the ego say, you know what? It's not, I'm not measured by the pace I run on my easy days or for my long runs. I'm measured by something bigger, which is, am I following the process that will allow me to eventually reach my potential?
1: Yeah, since you went there, I would say a a recommendation then is there's a book that my counselor had me read a few, about four or five years ago. It's called The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion. It's by Dr. Germer. I think that's how you say his name. It's G-E-R-M-E-R, Germer or Germer. I've never i read his book i don't i don't know the guy um but like he would break it into two buckets of like one way to know you're doing it the wrong way is if you're slipping into like self-critical thinking or self-isolation or you're self-absorbed those are it's like the the opposite of it and then the positives are more like when you can develop a language with yourself where um actually this brings up another tactic it's distancing uh techniques that comes from another dr shanker which we'll talk about in a second but um Basically, when you're able to talk to yourself the way you would talk to someone you love and care about. And as a coach, I had plenty of people in my own little repertoire of like how I speak to them. I'm like, man, I care about that athlete. I'm like, what were you trying to do? What happened? Where do you think it went wrong? Let's find the culprit. Like, maybe it was a hot day. Maybe it was like that lingering hamstring issue, except like, you know, we, 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 when I'm working through it with an um, athlete that I love and care about, I'm going to look at the broad picture. But you were talking about having good fundamentals, and I'm, and I'm saying I'm just wanting to call out one of those fundamentals is having that kind of language with yourself. When a, a run goes bad or a workout goes bad, can you look at it with a loving perspective like you would another athlete? Or are you like, man, I'm a fucking loser because this win, blah, blah, And you just like implode, and you, it's just like, you know that you can hear the difference in the dialogue and the tone and the words that you're saying. Um, so I wanted to add that in as a tip.
0: Well, I mean, we're, we're ping ponging. So it's perfect. But yeah, I mean, you're basically highlighting the idea that, you know, if you were talking to a training partner about the exact same thing you're talking to yourself about, what would you say? And most, probably all the time, it's going to be with more grace than <laughs> you would say it to yourself because, That's tend to be that tends to be how we operate. I think it also underscores this point of, which will be my next tip of, surrounding yourself with the right people.
2: Surrounding yourself with a coach who understands that, well, understands proper training principles, but
0: also understands that you're more than just an athlete. You're a human, and treats you as a whole human but also that you surround yourself with training partners, partners in life that are going to lift you up in those tough
2: times or in those, on those bad days. And if I think about my worst races, and, and it's funny because in our heads we always think if I run
0: poorly, then people are going to judge me for that. But the reality for me, and maybe I'm just blessed in our community here at Rogue, is that it's been the exact opposite. I've I've never had more messages come my way than on those tough days to lift me up. And so surrounding yourself with a community who's going to do that,
2: and that community could be big or small, is a big part of this too.
1: Yeah, I love the idea of the um, partner. For those who are like, if you just don't have a running buddy and this is completely a a solo journal, um, solo journey. Then, um, then I think using those distancing techniques can help. So I wanted to make a, uh, also make a plug for, I'm obsessed with Huberman right now. When I get obsessed, I go headfirst into (laughs) stuff. So he has a really cool interview with Dr. Maya Shanker, who is, um, she's held a position at the white house. She was, a um, consultant or advisor for the white house at one point, but she's a PhD in, in uh, behavioral sciences. Um, and she's the one that gave me the language of distancing techniques. Um, so listen to that interview. That's a helpful little, uh, resource. She had, she went to, uh, she was an incredible violinist, went to Juilliard and like her whole life was, she went through this identity thing where this is kind of how she became the PhD and the advisor to the white house by being able to take on a beginner's mindset and recreate herself and be reborn after the very thing that she loved more than anything, it shaped her whole body. She said her one of her shoulders sits higher than the others to this day. Like So when she's working out in the gym, her actual physical biology is different because she was so wrapped up in this instrument. Um, so she had to learn the hard way and then became this giant in this space, in this field. So her interview is a great practical resource if my Sam Harris consciousness comments were too kooky and woo-woo and way out there.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, underscoring that beginner mindset point is when you get lost in these mental loops where you might
2: be judging yourself, tearing yourself down, or doing something destructive, the question becomes, if I'm a beginner, what's the next small step to take,
0: to get myself on the path I want to be on. And
2: and with an athlete, I might say it as, okay, you ran X in this race that wasn't what you wanted. What are you going to do next? Guess what? It often looks exactly the same regardless
0: of what that result was. You're going to take the next logical step forward. And so asking yourself that question and getting really, really myopic for a minute when you're spinning, I think is really important, is what's the next baby step? What's the next small step to take? Whether you're truly a beginner or not, act like one. (laughs) What what would you tell the next, or what, what would you tell the beginner to take as that next logical step? Okay, another one I want to talk about is
2: how you frame success. And I think there's two, two sub bullets I want to talk about here. One is this idea of framing, framing success beyond outcomes. I like to say there's training results and there's racing results. We love for those
0: two to sing a happy song together and for the race to go exactly as your training did. But most of the time, I wouldn't even say most of the time, but sometimes it just doesn't. You may have had the perfect training, but then the race result doesn't happen for whatever reason. Some of those reasons could be outside of your control,
2: whether you got sick the week before, whatever it may be. So separate those two things.
0: There's training results and racing results. And I actually encourage athletes before they race to actually write down their training results so that they can list those things with a clear mind without without the noise that comes with an outcome involved. You can write down, I ran more miles than ever. You can write down, I had better workouts than ever. I was using training paces faster than ever and nailing them. Whatever those outcomes might be in your training, Those count still, whether the race goes the way you want it to or not. So, separating those two things, I think, is really, really critical. The other thing I wanted to talk about here is this idea of framing success, particularly in training related to the purpose of the day. I think, and we talked about it in my episode last week, oftentimes we're measuring ourselves on the wrong things. Or maybe we're measuring ourselves partially on the right things, but then also on the wrong things. It's, it's going into an easy day and measuring yourself by whether or not you ran faster than your last easy day versus asking yourself, have
2: I run slow enough to recover from the workout that I just did? Or going into a prep race, This happens all the time with people where they're
0: doing a prep race before their A race and they say, well, I'm doing this to practice execution, to learn some things, to practice the mental elements. And so perhaps they're not running all out for whatever reason. And then they are disappointed by the result because it wasn't as fast as their PR, even though that wasn't the goal for the day. So making sure that we're measuring ourselves on the right things and we're framing success in the right ways regardless of what it is. Think about it on
2: hot summer days here in Austin when you have to slow down dramatically in order to keep, or keep the effort the right way
0: because of the heat and humidity and then suddenly you're beating yourself up over that because it's the slowest run you've had in a long time. Well, that doesn't compute because. If you've, if you're measuring success based on effort and hitting the right effort for the day, then that's all you should be focused on. Check, you did it. <laughs> Pass, fail, you passed that day. So, that's a long way for me of to say. Be very, very careful about how you
2: frame success.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't know if you still have more. I want to keep going. A couple of things come to mind of like the way by which you do that and frame it. I I personally love journaling. My journaling uh, discipline has been so so helpful for my overall well being. But I've got a buddy who calls me all the time, and we're arriving at the same thoughts and arguments and in a cool way. Like we we debate the existence of all ourselves, all that blah blah blah. Uh, anyway, he he's doing it through a meditation practice. He arrives at it through literally the sort of traditional version of meditation that you're probably thinking of where you sit still and you, you meditate. Um, I can't do that. I do it with journaling but it's basically the same thing just manifesting in a different behavior pattern. So find your way, your, your uh, outlet for what you were just saying, Chris, for like processing, you were saying frame for processing, it, yeah. but then also have this actual practical tool for doing it. And I think buried, this is a meta concept but it's buried within this whole conversation. If anybody gets anything, it's I hope that for the listeners that don't have a rich community to uh, do all this, process all this with, I hope they hear their takeaway is simply, you're not alone in this. Like you deal with it, I deal with it. It's obviously an important enough conversation that we're trying to communicate this to anybody in our community, uh, that they have this this podcast as a resource to to process it. You're not alone in this headspace. So sometimes I think people know when I say the words you're not special, I mean that in a loving way. Like, I don't mean like, oh, you're not special as in like you don't have any skills that are special. I'm saying don't treat your problems like they're special. As in like, you're the only one with this problem and therefore no one understands it. It's like, no, we understand it. We don't have the solution for you. You got to work out your own, your own end, right? But you're not alone in that. Like, you're, you're not the only one suffering from this like sort of spiraling, ruminating um, mind that gets grips too tightly to any identity or role in life. You're not alone is the message.
0: Well, that is a message. Another message in what you just said about journaling or, or meditating is having the ability to, whether you're processing it by writing or whether you're processing it by meditating on it to one label these moments where your mind goes to a place that you wouldn't consider healthy for yourself in that you can just simply recognize it. I had a friend talking about this recently where he just said, you know, just being aware of those moments for me helped me then start to process and work through them in a way that was healthy. And journaling can do that. Meditating can do that. But when you're finding that awareness, you have to do it without judgment. It's not saying, Oh, Oh, shoot, I can't believe I went down this thought pattern again that was destructive. It's more about, okay, I
2: went down that thought pattern. It happened. Okay, I'm human. Let's not judge. Then process around that. How did I get there? What do I know from the tools
0: that I've heard through this podcast or developed myself that I can then go process that in a way that's productive? So that's what meditation and journaling can help
2: you do is label it without judgment and then process and work through it in a safe and healthy way without letting it spiral. And that's, I mean, that's a, it's a fundamental part of this, right? Is just being aware and then working through it,
0: knowing that you're going to have these quote, weak moments And they're going to come and they're never going to not come, but you're going to have more tools and more ability to work through them over time and, and you'll get better at it. And again, I would say I'm pretty advanced when it comes to this myself, but still have those moments where I'm like, why am I doing that? Why am I comparing myself to someone else when they're in a different place?
1: Yeah. It's almost like you can measure your rate of improvement by the time it takes to realize it between the action and the realization, kind of like a thunder and lightning, right? Like it's you're like, oh, I saw it, and then X amount of seconds later, you hear it, right? That's how it lets you know how close it is. It's almost like, oh man, I'm getting caught up in this spiraled like comparison game, and a week later I realized it. Well, still got a long ways to go. Um, but if like later that day you realized it, doing that, doing that a little bit better, or within an hour you realized it, doing a little bit better, or in the actual moment, you, you know, quote mastery is sort of when you, when you, it's not like it'll stop coming. You'll, you'll still make these mistakes, clench too tightly, get wrapped up, compare, et cetera. Um, but I would say those that are like at that mastery level are like it, boom, it hits them. And within seconds, they're able to feel that like nasty feeling course through their veins. But then they also go, but I'm not going to operate by that feeling. And they sort of let it go at the same time. Um, and that's when you're, you're probably in a healthy spot.
2: Which raises the last step or
0: tool that I would mention here is this idea that especially when you have an outcome you're not happy with, it's still important to feel that. Mm -hmm. You can't gloss over the feelings and emotions that come with a quote bad outcome because if you don't process it and let those emotions flow, then you're burying them in a way that will come out later. and varying people will have different quote rules of thumb on this. Some people will say, give yourself 24 hours to feel the feels. Some will say, you know, three days a week, whatever it may be. I tend to not put boundaries on it as precisely as others, because I think everybody takes a little longer than here. You know, some people take a little longer. Some races take longer to get over feelings come perhaps in different ways. So I'm not necessarily one to say you have to time strictly time bound that part of the process, But it's still an important part of the process is feeling the feels, let all those emotions out, cry, be sad, be angry, whatever it may be. So that once you've gotten all that out of yourself, you can then get back to the logical heady space of, okay, now what? So
1: totally. That's a great call out. Um, That's something I had to actually learn through counseling and, and teaching and that like, there are no bad emotions, like anger, frustration, jealousy. Those are human emotions. They exist. They're in us. And the, Quickest way by which to metabolize them is not suppressing. I think of Bill Burr. He has a—he's a comedian who makes me laugh, but he—he he has a joke where he's like, "Act like a man, push that shit down. Act like you have answers." Like, you know, because he's making fun of that old paradigm of—he's like, that is the worst way to do it. That actually whiplashes and and makes it a lot worse um, when you don't process, but you metabolize a lot better by acknowledging the fact that yeah, I'm really pissed or I'm really sad. I didn't get that result boom, move it into the journaling exercise. Like you said, don't judge, like be really curious, curious. The word curious can be your best friend when it comes to a, 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 mindfulness practice, whether that's meditation or journaling, like use the word curious, like, dang, like I'm so freaking sad or I'm so freaking mad that I didn't get that result. Not like, why, like, why didn't I get like, you could metabolize it by acknowledging why? and being with it.
0: Why digging into it? Why do I feel that way? Where does that come from? So, there we go. I think now it's time to put a bow on this one. What do you think?
1: I think we have to because it can, <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah, it's it can hard go to on. Contain, it can so. go on. I think so. I mean, for me, again, this is one that can be pretty deep, pretty intense. But I would say that anybody who's gotten this far with us knows that they're facing some of these challenges. And I would, I would say, this type of episode is one that you might want to listen to a couple of times. Because I think you might pull out different insights each time. And then as a part of that, you know, don't try to boil the ocean all at once, you know, pick one thought, one framework, one idea, one tool that we mentioned, start to deploy that in your, in your process with running, integrate it, see how it works for you. And then come back to this and deploy another tool. Don't try to do all six or seven things, you know, that we mentioned all at once, that's not going to be helpful and then step through it, knowing that it is a journey and it's never ending and you will get better if you're intentional about it. Those are my final words. Any final words from you?
1: I think that's a good way to end it. I, I just want to say, I appreciate those who did stick around. Um, Cause it's a, I think it's a very important topic. Um, you know, th- this identity thing and how we can get wrapped up in it. And it's sad that we start off with such a, pure pursuit like I want to be a better person and I think one example by which I can do that is run a marathon and so I go and it's like I run and it's this life-giving fruitful activity that we chose to be a part of in our one little existence and then somewhere along the way it corrupts and it starts to become the negative agent in our life and I care passionately about this topic because I I want it to remain pure for people and um, yeah
0: yeah pure and part of that. Just give yourself grace in the journey. So let's wrap it there. Thanks, James, for jumping in on this deep, deep topic. I know you were eager to once I threw it to you via text. I think we covered a lot of ground. Thanks to to everybody who hung with us throughout. If you have thoughts or feedback, send it our way, Chris at Rogue Running. Otherwise, you can check us out at roguerunning.com or follow us on Twitter,
2: Instagram, or Facebook at Rogue Running. Until next time.